Honored to be with you gentlemen this evening. Hopefully you've enjoyed the Ironman messages up to this point. Um, if you haven't had a, an opportunity yet, I want to encourage you to go check out the podcast. I was asked about it just a little bit ago, and I want to remind you to do so. If you haven't been able to catch up with us on the podcast, to be sure and do that so you know exactly where we're going when we're talking about what does it look like to grow as a godly man. Um, now, all of us uh, pay attention to the news on some level, um, and perhaps you recognize top leaders across the world. A Fortune comes out with top 50 leaders every single year, and so recently they posted some of the top influential people in the world. I want to show us a picture of the top 12 uh, here in just a second. Here you go. You'll see the top 12 leaders currently right now that Fortune would claim as some of the most influential, powerful leaders in our world. Now, if you just simply notice number one right here, if you're a Cubs fan, you would give an amen and a hallelujah, praise God, for the Cubs who went over 100 years without winning a World Series championship. But to his leadership, here they are, and here he is. He gets the number one spot. Isn't it funny, out of all the categories in the world, a sports team and a sports leader gets number one. Interesting. And you can look at this list and you'll see some different personalities and you'll probably see some people you have no idea who they are, okay? And list, the list could go on and on and on. But you know what stood out to me as I was looking at this list? It actually wasn't the people on the list. It was the description and the value system on how they were placed there. Check out the quote on the very bottom. It says this, in business, government, philanthropy, and the arts, and all over the globe, these men and women are transforming the world and inspiring others to do the same. What would your definition of a leader be? Would it align with that, that statement? At the core of leadership, and especially for these people, and by this standard and by this definition, all of these people at their core have principles and values that they stand on that determine their behavior and their influence over people. Likewise, for, for godly men, we must understand our principles, our values, and understand the opportunities of influence that you and I have on what it takes to be a man. Week number one, Mark came up here and he, he laid out what does it look like to be a man? We heard from, from Patrick and he prepared our hearts for the resurrection week and reminded us that the resurrection wasn't just supposed to be a day of celebration, but it was meant for you and I to embrace as, an, as a lifestyle, that we would live in life and life to the full. We heard a message on clinging to integrity, clinging to integrity. We heard a message on what does it look like to, to walk in humility. And tonight, I want us to ask ourselves, what are our principles that will guide you and I to be influential, godly leaders? I wanna give us a little bit of background tonight. We're gonna to jump into Daniel chapter one. I love that we just finished a sermon series in Daniel. I wanna revisit Daniel for just tonight and just a little bit of a background. From Abraham all the way to Solomon, God said if his children were to ignore the word and disobeyed his commands, he would disperse them among their enemies. And Daniel 1 will open up exactly the way that we just described it to be. And in the first seven verses, uh, we, what we see are three main themes. We see, one, we see defeat, we see deportation, we see degradation. 
Now I'm giving you a little bit of the background, a little, little heads up and a little, uh, as we're entering into Daniel 1 here, that these three words could help summarize the first seven verses. Again, this is the backdrop. This is the setting in which Daniel and his friends are walking into. And we're gonna explore eight through 20 on what took place based on their situation. So here we are in Daniel chapter one. If you have your Bibles, great. Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice of food, choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Again, this is a backdrop. This is a precursor to what is taking place. If we can for a moment, just imagine the Babylonians coming in, defeating the Assyrians would be very similar to if Russia today were to come in and take us from the US and place us in Moscow. It's this kind of political devastation, emotional devastation that is taking place here. That's the defeating aspect of this passage. What's the, the deportation? That they were carried into Babylon and God said that he would do this based on his earlier promises. And degradation, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He took sacred articles from the temple in Jerusalem and placed them into the temple of the false gods in Babylon. Defeat, deportation, and degradation. And they took the best and the brightest from this culture and began shifting their mind, tried to shift their mind, began integrating them into the Babylonian culture and changed the way they think. So Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we see now, are in, under incredible pressure to conform to the world around them. So here's a question I wanna ask. How does a man of God lead in a pagan world? That's your first fill in the blank. How does a man of God lead in a pagan world? Daniel's gonna point out six things here not four, not five. There's six principles that we can look at just from this passage alone. And men, I would deem it uh, valuable for us to continue to study scripture because we'll continue to see more and more and more values and principles that you and I can live by. But in this passage, we're gonna, we're gonna pinpoint six things that Daniel gives us as a map. The first is this, uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna pick up in verse eight, but the first is this, conviction. 
You make up your mind early. Let's read verse eight. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might, might not defile himself. Conviction, make up your mind early. Make up your mind early. Daniel was living a life of conviction, not comfort. And though it was okay for Daniel to take on a new name, he took on a new job, he took on a new language, he could flex these things. It did not change his character or who he was or his convictions. But he wouldn't bend in reverence to another God or eat the choice food from the sacrifices to the false God. Why? Because he made up his mind before he was even placed in that situation. And the first step to leading is having convictions, standards, boundaries, and limitations, gentlemen. If I were to hold an orange here in my hand and I began to squeeze the orange, what would you and I expect to come out of that orange? Specifically, what kind of juice? Orange juice. Well, interesting that if I began squeezing the orange and we all expected to have orange juice come out of the orange and all of a sudden grape juice begins pouring out, we would, like some of the faces I'm seeing right now, I'd see eyebrows raised and be like, that right there is a little off. That's a little different. Likewise, when these men were placed into a pressure situation, their character was revealed that they stayed true to conviction. And how much can we learn from that, that when our moment of pressure comes, it's not that our character will be developed in those moments, but our character will be revealed. Character will be revealed based on your convictions, men, that you would decide now, that you would decide now how you will act when you're confronted with a life choice not putting off difficult choices for tomorrow or on somebody else. Men of the home, men of this community, it is up to you to make the critical choices in your life. And those choices will have an impact and influence on others. And tough times, gentlemen, are opportunities for you and I to shine. Tough times are an opportunity for you and I to shine. In life, we're either gonna have the viewpoint or vantage point of an obstacle or an opportunity. Which is it? Because tough times for followers of Jesus, we can say this is an opportunity to shine and this is why we come to church. This is why you came here on a Wednesday night at 6.30 for a men's Bible study. That's why a group of other men showed up here at 6.30 in the morning, they're crazy. Um, they showed up here so early in the morning and we talked about this, but they were hungry for it, they want the word. This is why you show up every week to be a part of a church, not part of a building, but part of a community. This is why you and I say, Lord, I need you. I need your word. I need you to speak truth into my life. As Mark proclaimed just a moment ago, and he said, in September, I'm gonna, we're gonna pick up Ironman, but there's an in-between space in there, right? And he uttered the words that many of us, many of us don't like to hear, but when they, they're spoken over us, it somehow rings a hair of truth in our conscience where we say, he's right when he says, I struggle with reading scripture. He's right 
that a lot of men struggle with clinging to the word of God. And though that's a broad stroke and that may not apply to all of us, we understand the battle, we understand the temptation to neglect the word. But it should be a conviction. This is why we read our Bible. This is why we're part of a community. This is why we do things. Why? So that we don't implode when Satan throws us a curveball. In that moment of pressure, in that moment of temptation, in that moment of uncertainty and doubt, what will come out? Are you prepared for the moment? Because your character will be revealed. My very first at bat in high school, we were playing Dewey, the Dewey Bulldogs. I grew up in Bartlesville, just north of Tulsa. Freshman year, first at bat, I'm a kind of a guy that I love to stand really close to the plate. Now I'm also a pitcher, so that also really irritated me, okay? So I stood really close to the plate. Well, as a pitcher, you may or may not know this, but you want the plate, that's yours. It's not the batter's. So what's that pitcher gonna do with the very first pitch? He's gonna back me up, right? So he decided he wants to throw it in, okay? A ball. Did it back me up? No, I was a freshman idiot. So I stay in my place and here he goes. And, and you gotta know something about me. I can't hit a curveball to save my life, okay? I just can't hit a curveball. I'm too impatient. I just wanna just crush everything as fast as I can and get it out. Well, this guy throws me a curveball, but his problem was it hung up. You know, a hanging curveball just kind of comes at you slowly and you can pick it up and just say, ha ha. I turned and cranked that thing over left center. My first at bat in high school, what a moment. What a moment, all those years of Little League and T-ball and coach pitch and practice and it paid off in my first high school at bat. I was so excited to hit a home run. I was ready. Gentlemen, are we ready when life throws us a curveball to sit back, recognize the schemes of the enemy, to recognize the temptation for what it is and we're ready to just turn on it and knock it out of the park or do we stand there? And like many of us have battled, if you've ever watched or played, that curveball comes at you and what do you do? Or you check, oh my love. Gentlemen, we gotta be ready to swing. We gotta be ready to hit a home run. Live by conviction, not comfort, not emotion. Number two, number two, show civility in expressing your beliefs. Verses 10 and 11. And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths or your own age? Then you should make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12, he says, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. We can't have attitude with those in authority over us. We cannot have attitude with those in authority over us. Daniel here is seeking permission from the commander. Now, you may own your own business and you might be your own boss, but by and large, most of us have someone that we report to. 
And we must be civil in our, our approach when we have a, a disagreement, when we might be passionate about something. We must be respectful. And it is one thing for us to live with passion, and it's another thing to be emotional. Gentlemen, it's one thing for us to live with passion and a calling and conviction, but it's another thing to lash out or act or speak with emotion. There's a difference. There's a difference. Daniel here was calm and collected and he approached the commander and sought after permission. Test me. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Number three. Number three. Be willing to step out on faith. Be willing to step out on faith. Let's go back to verse nine, something we skipped over. It says, now God granted Daniel favor. God granted Daniel favor. And what else? And compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Stepping out in faith. Daniel had to step out in faith because he had to understand and trust that God was absolutely with him. And you and I too, when we step out into the unknown based on the promises or the commands of God, that is when our faith is tested and our relationship with God is deepened. When you and I would step out in faith and trust on the, on the unknown or the promises of God, listen, that's when we are stretched, that's when we are grown. Growth takes place when we are out of our comfort zone. There's a weight room not but 75 feet behind this wall and there's people who are working out, who are stretching muscles, why? Because they understand the significance. When you stretch the muscle, when you press the muscle, it'll get stronger, it'll grow, it'll get firm. And Jesus calls Peter out of the boat, does he not? Peter, get out of that boat. Get out of that comfort zone. Oh, I don't know, Jesus, is that you? <laughs> Peter, get over here. Okay. He gets out of the boat, right? That took trust. And Jesus was with him every step of the way. What did it say at the very beginning of this? God granted, right? Who was the one who allowed Daniel and his, and his buddies to get placed into Babylon in the first place? God, part of, his, part of his plan, wasn't it? Who continued to grant Daniel favor and compassion? It was God. God was with him even through the difficult times, even through these challenges of the situation, and he was still willing to step out in faith. Daniel did not know where he was going. And in leadership circles, I hear this all the time. How can we lead people somewhere we've never been? Have you heard that before? I've heard that. How can you lead somewhere? How could you lead someone if you've never been there? And while that is true in a lot of phases of life, did Daniel necessarily know where he was going and what was ahead of him? No, but his character carried him through it. And based on his conviction, based on his civility, based on his, his expression, based on God's compassion, he was able to walk and lead even as he was walking through a difficult time. Gentlemen, what's a step of faith tonight that God is calling you to take and simply say, would you trust me? What is it that you need to do to step out in faith, to, to see the promises of God being fulfilled in your life? There's something unknown. The uncertainty ahead scares you and it cripples you and it paralyzes you with fear. And the enemy wants nothing to do but to hold you back in the comfort of the boat. But he's calling you to something. 
I'm gonna give an unapologetic plug here, if you will. Beach retreat. <laughs> we leave in four and a half weeks. And I got to hear eight of my seniors preach this past weekend and half of which talked about overcoming fear and stepping out in boldness. I don't know about you, but you know, I heard those messages like a thousand times, literally. <laughs> but even when they presented it to our whole church family, I'm like, I was moved. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me in ways. Perhaps he was speaking to you. And, and as you heard something about even Beach Retreat coming up, you're like, you know what? I need to step out in faith and I need to go see what, what's taking place at a place called Beach Retreat. Because the first thing you hear, and again, I say it and I can see your expressions. I love men. We wear our emotions on our sleeves. So y'all give me great feedback immediately. Thank you. Immediately you go to, oh, I could never do that. Junior high, high school students. That's too tough. Could never do that. Have you tried? (laughs) Yes, you have. You got a good one though. Why not come serve? Doesn't have to be beach retreat. That's just an example because it's right on the horizon. But how cool is it if we've got a church family of men who aren't sitting around in a little teeter-totter play box with sand and saying, this is comfortable right here. I'm just gonna play here. But say, get out of your comfort zone and go be a man and go do something. Like, that fires me up to see a group of men saying, we're gonna take charge. We're gonna serve. We're gonna get our hands dirty. We're gonna sweat. We're gonna have to sacrifice something in order to, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. But when the men of the church begin rising up, living out in faith based on conviction, y'all, listen, we got something going on. There's a movement. Don't just pray for revival, live in it. Be a part of it. Don't wait for it. God's calling you already to step out in faith and to trust him. He's along with you. There's unemployment everywhere in our community, especially in our church family. Continue to to walk in faith and walk in trust with Jesus, knowing that he has got a plan and he's sovereign. He's with you even through the darkest moment of your life, gentlemen. And this season, this is a season. This is a season. Number four, live a lifestyle of excellence. Live a lifestyle of excellence. I want to revisit verses 12 through 13. It says, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. First of all, they're just crazy right there. Vegetables only? What? That has to take some trust. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. I said we come back to this. There's three things that you see here. One, test, observe what you see. Lord, test us. People, look at us, test us. What do you see? Observe us, judge us. That's really what's going on here. And what he is saying is that his lifestyle is going to back up his words. Your lifestyle, my lifestyle has to back up our words. Do you notice they're talking about we're walking into this place and, and we, wanna, we wanna honor our God and we're gonna speak truth, but they didn't just let it stop with lip service. 
They said, listen, we don't want to defile ourselves. And, and they, were, they weren't mean. They weren't belittling. They just said, hey, listen, we're, we're just not going to do that. And if you would just give us vegetables and water, hey, we're willing to do that if that's what we got to do. If that's what we've got to do, then this is what we're going to do. Test me, observe, and judge me. But my lifestyle is going to back up what I'm saying to you. And likewise to us, Peter later says in 1 Peter 2.12 that you and I should live a life of excellence so that it would point the unbelievers to see the glory of God through our lives. That you and I, if we would live a lifestyle of excellence, we could bring glory to God. Gentlemen, how is your temper in the area of excellence? I have road rage to the nth degree. I'm just gonna be transparent with you. This is why I cannot have a concealed handgun license, okay? If you've ever seen Medea, okay, um, it just, I can't, have a, I can't have a gun in the car. It just wouldn't be good, okay? Um, KSBJ, awesome. Um, I have road rage. And before I moved to Texas, I lived in Oklahoma, but God delivered me here to the promised land. But while in Oklahoma, I learned that I was something called a defensive driver, I know, it's foreign language. Here, I'll break it down. I had two hands on the wheel. I would put my blinker on. I would wait three seconds and I would be so kind and say, go on, I'll just wait here in my lane. You just go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I checked my blind spots and I would go to 65. It was a 65, maybe 64 just to be on the safe side. I was that guy. I don't know what happened. I moved to Texas. And all of a sudden, this, this, new, this new person began developing. And now I'm like, 65, that's stupid. You're not gonna let me over. I'm getting over. Move. A whole new, whole new Jason. But listen, I'm not trying to justify my anger. I'm, trying to, I'm being real with you that each of us have areas of, of, of anger, emotion that comes out that, is it excellent? Is it excellent? Or how about, how about your language? Are the words that you and I speak of excellence? Now, the words are a condition of the heart, by the way. It's a condition, it's a symptom of the heart. So when I ask you the question, how are your words of excellence? It's ultimately, it's a heart question. And you're like, well, I don't cuss. Well, how about the jokes that you say? How about your language? How about your work ethic? How is your level of work when it comes to your job and the things that you do, the place of employment, or even at the house? Are you willing to cut corners just to finish or are you willing to go the extra mile to make sure it gets done well? Week number three, integrity, right? Godly men lead with excellence. Last question for this, this area. How do you treat your wife? or your family? Do you love your wife and your family with excellence? And do you love them with excellence even in public? Both public and private, but do you love them and cherish them even in public? Because the people around you will see how you treat your spouse and how you treat your family, how you treat even your friends. And that might be the only Bible that ever preaches to someone who doesn't know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Your actions and your words of excellence might just be the only gospel they ever read 
And so your excellence and my excellence has to reflect well on Christ if we claim to follow him. And so we say to this world, we wanna back up our words with our actions. And we say to the world, because we live in a fishbowl as believers, we say, watch me, test me, and judge me. And may these, may these things line up. And I do wanna say this. Because as soon as I said, live a lifestyle of excellence, something inside of you automatically wanted to rebel because for all your life, you had a certain standard placed on you that you feel like you just can't measure up. And you, all of a sudden you hear, oh, you've got to be excellent all that you do or you're a failure. Gentlemen, I have something to tell you here today that you and I will fail but you and I are not defined by our failures. Our character is not defined by our failures. Our value and our character is defined by who God says we are. Gentlemen, catch this phrase, write this down. Those around you don't want you to be perfect, but they do want you to be perfectable. It's on the screen. Those around you don't want you to be perfect. They just want you to be perfectable. And if you've been married for any season of life, you know that the, the, the next three words I'm about to say could be the most life-changing for a year, just for a night. I am sorry. Or how about these three words? Please forgive me. What humility to say, you know what, I'm aiming for excellence and I'm aiming for perfection, but as an imperfect man, I know I'm gonna fall short so that when I do, I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna own it. I'm not gonna carry around my pride stick and when I mess up, say, I'm gonna beat somebody else and blame somebody else. I'm gonna say, I messed up. And by showing Humility by saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We're showing that we're not yet perfect, but we're being molded and shaped into who God wants us to be. We're not dwelling in mistakes, past mistakes, past sins and past failures. We're saying, I'm willing to learn from that and continue to move on. Be shaped and molded. Number five, demonstrate the wisdom given to you by God. Demonstrate the wisdom given to you by God. Verses 17 through 20. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. God blessed Daniel and his friends, and they had wisdom in every area of life. Why? They simply asked. They went to God. Imagine you were just taken captive. You were just taken hostage, put into a new culture, a new environment. You love God, but you're surrounded in a different environment, a difficult environment, and the pressure is around you. Who are you gonna go to? 
You're gonna go to God. You're gonna run to God. They asked him, Lord, would you show us? Would you give us the ability? And God granted them that. And James 1, 5 reminds us too that, listen, if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Have you asked God for wisdom? Literally, have you just a simple prayer? Lord, Lord, would you grant me wisdom? Would you open my eyes to see and have a perspective in the way you see things? Would you slow down these curveballs that are being thrown at me so that I might pick up the pitch and be able to recognize it for what it is and to address it in, in the fashion that you seem necessary? Wisdom comes down to this. It's a simple theory to say, but the practicality of it, difficult. Pray for it every day. I said, have you asked for it? But when it comes to, do we want wisdom? Are we gonna ask for it? We must pray for it every day. Solomon The wisest man in the world, according to scripture, wrote a lot of Proverbs from the book of Ecclesiastes. And praise God for the Song of Solomon. I guess you guys haven't read Song of Solomon. (laughs) One day, when you get older, I guess. Okay. God opened up the heavens for Solomon. You could have anything, Solomon. What do you want? Wisdom. He said, wisdom. Wisdom. Was Solomon a perfect man, gentlemen? No. Even after he had gained wisdom, did he make the best judgment calls and best decisions? No, he didn't. You know why this is important? Because gaining wisdom isn't just in the first inning of the game. You gotta get it every inning, all the way to the ninth. You can ask for it one time, but you gotta keep asking continually, asking for it. Don't get comfortable on what you know. Don't get comfortable on what the world says. Let's get comfortable in finding out what God's wisdom is and not our own wisdom. This wisdom always supersedes the world's wisdom. God's word will always supersede the world's wisdom. It also says this in the scripture. God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature. And he understood this. So here's what he did. He understood this and so he demonstrated it. He gained it. He lived it. He demonstrated it. How are we as the men of Second Baptist Church and in this community passing on the wisdom that God has given to us? If we're not sharing God's wisdom with the next generation, the world will teach this next generation its wisdom. And gentlemen, we cannot let that happen. You and I can be a part of developing and shaping a culture, a generation of people, of students to rise up and to lead the church or the world and this culture will define it for us. You decide, you decide, demonstrate it, pass it on, pray for it, live it. Number six, keep 
godly friends close to you. Keep godly friends close to you. We have a lot of acquaintances, but we drift away from our close friends. We have a lot of acquaintances, but we tend to drift away from our close friends. Mark did something tonight that he did a little bit different this morning, and I love it, perhaps because he listened to me this morning, but he had you guys walk around at the very beginning of the, of the hour, and he said, don't just shake someone's hand and get to know their name, but ask them what they do. Ask them a couple questions, and I loved it. I loved it. Because how easy for us, how easy for us to sit in our boat, right, our comfort, to stand somewhere, shake a hand and say, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? It's, it's simple, right? And we can all do that. We can all do that. We can stand and put a smile on and shake a hand and say, hey, man, what's up? Acquaintances, right? I know a lot of men who are starving for community. I know a lot of men who are looking for real relationships to do life with, to go through the difficult situations, through certain situations and circumstances that you don't necessarily understand or how to cope with, but there are men in here who want to link arms with you and to do life with you. Gentlemen, if you would look around the room tonight, I'm looking around 90 men, 90 men-ish in this room, that if you're looking for a community, all you have to do is just move your head around and look. It's here if you want it. Ironman's, one of the main passages is centered on Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And the last time I checked, when iron clashes against iron, it's not like warm butter going on a Waffle House waffle. Just melt and just, mmm, so good. Kind of getting hungry. Last time I checked, when I see iron clash against iron, I'm seeing and I'm hearing friction and I'm, I'm seeing sparks. And you know what? It's not always pretty, but it's necessary because on the other side of it is a sharper tool, a sharper instrument. It went through a refining process. Gentlemen, who are the men in your life loving you tough? Who are the gentlemen in your life not allowing you to stay in your comfort zone who are gonna push you and challenge you to seek Christ with all that you are because we need those men, desperately need those men. Who are those men? We can't show up passively to a church and say, I hope that there's someone for me. We must step into situations of life, especially at church and outside these walls. How can I go bless someone? How can I go serve somebody? That in itself is sharpening yourself and potentially sharpening somebody else. A step of faith to trust, to get out of a boat, say, God's with me. And I'm gonna get to know some people, not just on the surface level, but I'm gonna get a little bit deeper. Because the reality is this, we need each other. We need each other. Gentlemen, you and I were created for community. We were created for brotherhood. And these principles, like I said earlier, this is not the book on godly principles for leadership. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. But let's do it together. Let's figure, let's figure this thing out together. Let's see what God's wisdom and word has to say to us about doing this together. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one minute now to jot down what God was speaking to you tonight. I'll come back 
And for those of you who are my type A people, I will finish your last four blanks then. What is your one minute takeaway? Write that down right now. Conclusion section, here we go. The attitude of leadership is conviction and civility. This is our attitude, this is our makeup. The intentions of leadership, faith. The results of leadership, wisdom and excellence. The key of leadership, close godly friends to keep you and I on track. How amazing is it that God would call us men who don't get it right, who fall short, and he still says, I love you, I've forgiven you, and I have a plan that's far greater than you may ever imagine. Jim, and I pray that you are able to apply these principles to your life tonight, carry them out, pass them on, because the Christian faith is not a sprint or a marathon, but it's a relay race. And we have a beautiful baton to pass on to another generation. My final word to us tonight is, is that we would be men who would seek the wisdom of the word and not the world. Gentlemen, I'll say it one more time. Is that for all of us that we would be men who would seek after the wisdom of the word and not the wisdom of this world. You and I don't need our pictures on a Fortune 50 to be influential leaders. Follow God's plan. Be men of conviction, civility, prayer, full of wisdom, and walking in faith. And gentlemen, it'll be an honor and a privilege to link arms with every single one of you as a church family to watch God do an incredible work in our lives and through our lives to make a difference for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and I'm so thankful for these men who took time to come in here this evening to receive your word, Lord. I pray as, that, as it fell on these hearts and these men, Lord, that you are stirring up movement, you are stirring up faith, you are stirring up trust in these men and that when they walk out of these walls, they are ready to run and pursue you and the things of this world, may they be influential leaders for your kingdom, Lord, carrying out these principles in every area of life. Lord, bless their steps, guide and direct, give them wisdom to see. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.